You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Satan, your kingdom must come down. Satan, your kingdom must come down. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Satan, your kingdom must come down. Hi there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. Uh, my name is Danny Anderson. I'm an assistant professor of English at Mount Aloysius College, and I'm recording live from the Inferno Studios at Mount Aloysius College, which uh, I have to point out they've decided right at this moment to begin mowing the grass outside my window, so there'll be a little background noise for some of this episode today. You'll have to bear with me. Hopefully, the processing afterwards will take much of that out. Um, so today, we're going to be going quite a bit out of my depth and looking at a recent controversy that... Taylor Swift, the singer, found herself in. I've, of course, heard the name Taylor Swift before, but it's a genre that has escaped me almost completely. Um, but there is something underneath the situation that we'll be discussing today that really does appeal to me. And I think it's perfect for the show because it will, I think, allow us to think about the intersection of political activism, celebrity, and commerce. So this is why I was delighted that Victoria Reynolds Farmer of the uh, Christian Feminist Podcast suggested we take an episode to explore this really weird moment in pop music. Victoria, how are you today? I'm great, Danny. I'm so glad that uh, you liked this idea. I thought um, the particular intersection, as you said, was really perfect for your show. So I'm excited to be here. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, and uh, I, uh, those of you who are watching us on uh, the Patreon feed, Victoria's recording from this really lovely sun porch. I'm very jealous of uh, your life in Georgia right now. <laughs> it looks re- look, looks really beautiful down there. Yeah, it's, it's been really nice. <laughs> Great. Um, and joining Victoria and I is my daughter, um, Ella Anderson. Ella, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Um, I, I, actually, I think, Victoria, you suggested having Ella on the show. Um, I think, am I right about that? Did, I think we both had the idea at the same time. Um, I, I know you had mentioned um, that Ella had listened to the sort of Taylor Swift deep dive that we did on the CFP oh, yeah. a couple of years ago. That's right. Um, yeah, in a car ride, we were going somewhere on vacation. And, uh, and yeah, at some point, I was playing that episode and Ella got really into it. I remember this was several years ago. I don't know if you remember that, Ella. <laughs> I don't remember it. No. <laughs> that was several years ago now. She's 14, and so, you know, it was probably in that dark period of her memory. So, but I figured, you know, Ella is of the generation of people who have grown up with Taylor Swift just sort of in the background. And so I thought her insight would be interesting. And, uh, and, and, and given my utter lack of knowledge about anything here, I think, uh, the more help I could get, the better off we'll all be. So, um, um, welcome to both of you. Thanks for being here. I can't wait to get into this. Uh, real quickly, though, I do want to make a couple of announcements. Um, if you haven't known, if you haven't followed by now for the last few episodes, I've had a Patreon going out. Um, I want to thank Adam and Jay and Jessica and John and Jonathan and Neil uh, for uh, for their contributions. It's been really great uh, to have some support in that way. It helps me if you listen to this. Uh, there's some 
cables that I need to replace uh, and that sort of thing. We pay some dues to the Christian Humanist uh, Network, and I have the website and that kind of thing. So that that money helps me not lose money on this endeavor. I certainly don't expect to make any money on it, but uh, anything I can keep the budget, keep it as budget neutral as possible. That is awesome. Um, you do get some bonus stuff for uh, whatever level you join at, and so take a look at the Patreon page uh, if you want to consider doing that. The second uh, uh, announcement that I want to make is I want to give a plug down the road uh, where I work at Mount Aloysius College. For the last several years, we've had this um, charity comic book and pop culture convention called the Mac Charity Con, Mount, Mount Mac, Mount Aloysius College. Um, and this year it's going to be on November 9th of 2019. And there is going to be, uh, it's a really neat little comic book convention, pop culture convention with vendors and that sort of thing, plus some academic panels. I will be podcasting from the floor, and I think uh, Chris Maverick uh, from the Vox Podcast probably will be too. So there's all kinds of neat stuff going on. There's great stuff for the kids. If you're in the area, uh, I really would love to meet you, so that would be a great opportunity to do that. And also, um, there is an academic panel too, so there are um, there's an open call for papers if you want to present something at this conference and get a, a little line on your CV uh, in addition to all the fun stuff that goes along. That's a great opportunity for you to do that. So I wanted to kind of give a plug for that. You can find uh, more details of that in the show notes. I'll put a link to that webpage there. Um, and the final one that I want to make an announcement about coming up at the end of September in um, uh, Messiah College in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, um, our friend of the show, uh, Matthew Brake uh, of Pop Culture and Theology, he's involved with this uh, organization that runs this uh, thing called Theocon, and it's a theology pop culture conference. Um, I will be going to that as well. Uh, the Deadline for submission for papers for that has already passed, but um, I know that it's going to be a really fun time. So if you are in the area, I really recommend um, checking out Theocon. I will put a link to that as well in the show notes. If you go to sectarianreviewpodcast.com, you'll find all that information. So uh, we're all about community building here. So if you have something that you want to plug, uh, send me on some details and I'll, I'll consider plugging it. So um, anyway, so let's get right into this first question. Um, and I want to shoot the first one to Victoria. Um, first, just a little bit of background on the offending incident, uh, and then we'll go around the horn and talk about it. What is the song that Taylor Swift released? What situation was it trying to speak into? Um, before we get into any kind of uh, weeds of the controversy about it, like what was the song and what is she trying to do with it? Victoria, do you want to introduce us to it? Sure. Uh, so, You Need to Calm Down is the second single from what people had been calling TS7, uh, Taylor Swift's seventh studio album. She has since uh, confirmed that the album's title is Lover and that it'll drop um, in just a couple weeks on August 23rd. Uh, the song, the single was released June 14th of this year and the video came a few days later on June 17th. Uh, the song and video, because they were both released in June, uh, that's Pride Month, and both the song and the video contain references to LGBTQ plus equality, uh, which is a cause that Swift has really strongly publicly supported in the past few months. The last frame of the video uh, is a link to a change.org petition that she wrote in support of the passage of the Equality Act, which sort of really oversimplified uh, definition of what the Equality Act does. Um, it is to gender orientation and identity what Title IX is to sex. It's a sort of broad-based legal protections. 
Go ahead. Uh, so since lots of people had criticized her in the past for not being openly politically involved, um, there's sort of split reactions to this. There's one camp who says this is an accurate course correction. It's good that she's finally doing this. And then there's another camp of people, um, which I think I'm kind of closer to, that says um, this seems sort of really mercenary and and commercially motivated and um sort of suspect in its loudness it's it's conspicuously timed right uh with the release of an album and 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 there's some accusations of um kind of pandering maybe is that is that a, a right way to put it yeah i i think so i think it's um it's it's a little pandery Especially when you consider things like um, the aesthetic of the whole album, um, the way she's using rainbows, we can we can talk more about the aesthetic shift um, later. But yeah, I, I though I think the song is a decent pop song, I, I have some some reservations about the political statement. Okay, um, Ella, do you have anything to add to that? I agree. I feel like. Releasing it during Pride Month was kind of an attempt to gain publicity because she has lost some, I don't know the word, but she's lost some of her prominence in the past few years. Like, she's kind of drifted out of the spotlight, so to say. Like all pop stars, she's sort of aging aging out of her. Yeah, like there's only a certain time frame that you can be as big as you want to be in this society, especially in the music industry and um i think that releasing it during pride month was just an attempt to gain publicity off of other people and i'm not going to say other people suffering but like it was more it was definitely commercially motivated as you said yeah okay and we are going to get into that because there is the the you brought up the idea of other people suffering that is one of the accusations that are being leveled uh, levied excuse me against um against taylor swift um, for people who are suspicious of her motivations. Um, can we, before we get into the controversy though, just sort of talk about the song itself in, term, in terms of style or quality. I'm really unclear on copyright issues with this thing, so I probably won't play one, play a bit of it during this just to, just to avoid any trouble. Um, but uh, it's, under 30 seconds is fair use. Oh, okay. Uh, uh but. Taylor totally sues people. Yeah, that's that's what I'm afraid of. And so, just Google it. Go to YouTube, and you'll find a million uh, a million ways to see it right there. Uh, and I will put a link to the video in the show notes as well um, if you're uh, interested in watching the video that we'll be talking about. But. I'm not all that really familiar with Taylor Swift's career. I know that she was a country singer who sort of morphed into this pop goddess, right? Um, but so I need a little bit of help understanding how it fits into her career trajectory. Uh, Victoria, do you have any, um, you guys did a whole great show on the, the Christian feminist podcast several years ago about Taylor Swift's, like the, the long view of her career. Do you want to give us a, a, a brief summary of that and how this fits into that larger context? Sure. Um, The most important thing to say about You Need to Calm Down as a song and a video, other than it's her most overtly political song to date, is um, that Lover is a sort of response to um, and, and reversal from the aesthetic and tone of her sixth album, Reputation. Uh, Reputation was, actually, before I 
keep going on that. Um, Swift is really known for her expert use of social media and her monitoring of fan reactions to things. Uh, so she's really famous for um, anytime she changes her Instagram theme, for example, um, people take notice. People knew um, way before the first single from Lover dropped that she was uh, preparing for a new album because her Instagram colors changed from uh, what they look like during Reputation, which was black and white, very dark, mm -hmm. um, with lots of snake images. Mm. Um, and, and we'll talk about the snake stuff and the sort of Kimye uh, feud, probably. Okay. Yeah, celebrity um, feuds are another theme, right? <laughs> yeah, lots of lots of feuds. Um, so she changed from the reputation um, coloring and aesthetic to uh, a brighter pastel um, kind of aesthetic, lots of hearts and butterflies. There was this big um, thing where she commissioned an artist to paint a mural in Nashville. It's this big butterfly and it has um, hearts and flowers and symbols in it. And her fans are really huge on these Easter eggs. So people were saying, like, there are 13 stars, and that means the album is going to be announced in 13 days. Um, and also, they were right. <laughs> like, she was she was actually planting these things on purpose because she knows her fans love to solve those puzzles. So um, It's like QAnon. <laughs> it's, like <laughs> it's really intense. Like, people are on Tumblr and Instagram um, – like just spouting these theories and she loves it <laughs> so uh you need to calm down fits into this different lover aesthetic that's about rainbows and light colors and much happier than the reputation era which is sort of about her clapping back at uh yeah. people who craft her media reputation but you need to calm down also tells us that she's not really over it because um, that's what the first verse of the song is about. But we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Ellen, do you have anything to add to that? Um, not really, but <laughs> I I do think that just in general, like the theme changes, which doesn't really have any like thing to do with what we were talking about, but like the theme changes are is like another way that like pretty much all celebrities kind of use to get attention i guess because like people like if it's everything just stays the same you like eventually lose interest mm -hmm. so it's kind of like like change gives you this kind of contrast and i think that right now or well before this song was released i think that she's just trying to like get back all that attention by like changing the theme and getting like i said this earlier but i think everything's just like it's, trying to get attention. It's rebranding, yeah, right? Rebranding. Yeah, you have this idea of almost. So, I mean, I guess there's a, a history of artists going through. I don't even know the artist. Is it Picasso and his blue period or whatever? Mm -hmm. um, there, that, that is a thing that people, that artists have always done is sort of change um, their interests for a certain time period. Th that very well could be what's going on, but it also feels a little like um, Pepsi. Out, uh, uh, unveiling a new logo or something, yeah. right? right? Uh, am I wrong about this, Victoria? No, I think you're right. And I, I mean, you're both right. 
Ella <laughs> is right that this is a particular the Instagram thing particularly is uh, a move calibrated for our time. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's interesting um, because another thing about her music that I, I've done some research, I have gone back and watched quite a bit of Taylor Swift videos the last few days, um, which has been interesting for me actually. Um, but even when she was a country singer, I mean, there was a, a distinct twang in her, in her voice at that point. That's completely gone now. Right. Mm-hmm. So you do yeah, always, absolutely. You, you do get the sense that, it has all been sort of performance on some level. Um, That's what a celebrity needs to do. Yeah. Like, you can't blame her for just doing what every celebrity has to go through to get be successful. Mm-hmm. Like, to be successful, you need to, like, change themes, rebrand, just, like, rebrand to a general audience to gain back, like, money. This is all kind of, like, back, like to money and stuff like that like yeah it's all yeah to be successful right um yeah. you have to kind of speak to the audience that you're selling things to right and so when she was a country singer she sang in a twang right and 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 now now that is gone because she's speaking at a, a broader audience right um and one of the uh, i read in one of the articles i read in preparation for this uh, they talked, uh, they made a connection between this song and a country song of hers called Mean. Yeah. Um, are, are you familiar with that one? <laughs> uh, Victoria, <laughs> Victoria's expression makes me think she knows it. I do know it. It is one of my least favorite uh, songs of hers. Okay. Um, it, and I can see a connection because it is sort of like, a shout back at the haters, kind of. Is that sort of the way both both songs are framed in that way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. Um, though mean is is a response to one particular um, music critic. Oh, uh, though it, I mean, it also talks in the aggregate, but it's written for one particular music critic. And, and I guess the critique of, and this is a good, I guess, opportunity for us to shift into question three about what is so uh, controversial about this particular song, what political lines did she cross and what repercussions did she suffer, if any. Um, I guess the, the accusation is, the, the observation about these two songs, Mean and You Need to Calm Down, are that it connects her own personal um, experience of being attacked as a celebrity mm-hmm. to a larger yeah bullying or political oppression of another group that is really far worse. And so she's sort of trying to piggyback. Yeah. Am I right about this? Um, that, go that, ahead. That equation is the biggest problem with the song, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you think about that, Ella? Nothing. <laughs> she's just shaking I'm her just head. like, <laughs> I, it's pretty much exactly what she said and I don't see the point in rewording it. Okay. It's, I mean, we can, we can talk through what the verses are doing if you want. Let's like, do that. Yeah. We can sort of break it down. Yeah. It's a great idea. Uh, do you want to, I don't have the lyrics in front of me. I can look them up real quick. Uh, but do you want to begin? Uh, okay. So I, I said I was going to talk about Kim Kardashian and Kanye West um, and, and that famous feud. Um, which is part of the subject matter of the first verse. Um, she's talking about um, people taking shots at her on Twitter uh, and that she's getting kind of overwhelmed by this. And, and then there's the line. Uh, she says that she's not going to 
talk about it anymore, but she's still talking about it. So that's yeah. insincere. Um, and, and then there's the line, uh, snakes and stones never broke my bones. And then she gets into the kind of OOs of the chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are familiar with the idiom will see that snakes has been substituted for sticks. The typical mm-hmm. idiom is sticks and stones won't break my bones. Um, and that is intentional, of course. She doesn't do anything without uh, intention, really. And the snake is there because uh, Kanye West asked her permission to reference her in one of his songs and videos. Um, and then the video comes out, um, and she is uh, a lookalike of her is depicted naked, and he says rather rude things. And she says, this is horrible. This is sexist. Uh, I can't believe you would do this. And then Kim Kardashian produces a phone audio recording where Swift seems to be agreeing uh, to be used. And uh, Kim calls her a snake. And then Kardashian fans flood Swift's social media with pictures of snakes. (laughs) Um, so this is why the snake is uh the most prominent visual image in the sixth album reputation Mm -hmm. uh so you know this this new phase is not as new a phase as she's saying it is because she's still talking about snakes in this song so that's what the first verse is about like the sort of social media uh policing of her and her actions Okay, um, and it's another celebrity feud, right? Um, and in the video, we'll get to the end where she's like resolved in a previous celebrity feud with Katy Perry. Yeah. Um, but this is sort of like a, uh, a a running theme in her work. And I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm sort of giggling as you're telling the story, but I'm also sort of admiring the craft that she goes that i mean she's inventing herself right and she's in complete control of her image like a lot of great artists have always been i mean in what way is she not like uh stanley kubrick in that way or something right Um, and this is why i can't look away like as someone with a a phd in gender studies who has also spent the past uh four years working in audience engagement and thinking about um, social media presence and voice and all of those things like she's just a master at it mm-hmm, and and when we talk about her we're talking so much about public presentation of femininity and and what all of that means I just I'm fascinated by it even as it's kind of annoying <laughs> Ella? there is this kind of like the sort of manipulation that comes with being a celebrity because in order to gain that kind of uh, like popular celebrity status like so to say Mm -hmm. um you need to like manipulate your audience or who you're targeting like you have to manipulate them to get them to be more interested in what you are putting out there and if multiple celebrity feuds like gets that attention and gets that audience all wild up then i mean you have to do what you have to do yeah i mean and let's i mean even let's not use a a loaded term like manipulate right i mean there's just sort of a smart way in which you want to kind of engage your audience right controlling the narrative yes yeah yeah and so there's like there's um a, a real craft to it and and the whole like as you're talking about ella the using of celebrity feuds to kind of fuel this 
this interest outside the music, uh, mm-hmm. I think is, is really interesting. Um, there's a very meta quality to, to what she's doing, uh, with her work then. And, and honestly, I've been, um, I'm teaching a class on Philip Roth this semester, uh, and I just was working on a project about him in the summer. And so I've been thinking about a lot about Roth. And really, I mean, we could talk about this as being like silly and shallow, but the entire middle part of Roth's career was him kind of clapping back at the haters, if you if you want to put it in those terms, right? Uh, he's sort of like uh, responding to critics of his early part of his career and fictionalizing them and weaving them right into the art itself. Uh, and so this is not like an unprecedented thing. And I don't think in any way makes her like a lesser artist or a, a shallow artist in any way. Um, I think it, it, yeah. there's a savviness to it and it's actually very artful. She, yeah, like, no. sorry, go on. Um, no, I, it's one of the things I sort of respect the most is the degree to which she has been able to elevate um, things like Tumblr color palettes and um, <laughs> stuff that, uh, stuff that's a low culture and b low culture specifically for girls, um, which is an intersection that broader intellectual society sort of double hates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I've I've done most of my academic work on some form or another of that intersection of like low culture and gender, and so I'm super into everything she's doing because she's making the New York Times write about. Uh, her Instagram theme change. And I think that's such yeah. an interesting cultural <laughs> artifact. For sure. Go ahead, There's Alex. like an art in itself of like doing that, like this kind of stuff. Like you can't, it takes some talent to like create these feuds and create these like, like these themes that get your audience's attention back. Like you can't, it doesn't, it doesn't come naturally. And is, I'm not going to say manipulation because, like my dad said, that no, isn't no. over the term. You can use the term. I'm just saying you don't have to look at yeah. it as a bad way, but yeah. Um, but, like, it's not manipulation, but it's, like, it's a genius way to influence, like, your audience like that. Like, it's just, it's kind of, it's like an art form in itself. It's so interesting. It is. It's being the artist is part of the art, right? Uh, yeah. And it's very kind of um, it, within the postmodern tradition then, um, very fully. So um, I know I think that uh, I think that there's there's definitely something there. Yeah. A- as we move into the next verse after the first uh, ooh, ooh, ah, ah course, <laughs> um, and it's very catchy, by the way. There's there's nothing that isn't it is. catchy. It's, it's it, yeah. Super singable. Yeah. And, and I can totally see if you don't think about the lyrics, um, how this is a very kind of lovely song, right? Um, and I'm not especially saying, for summer. It's, yeah. it's a it's calibrated to be a very like blast with the top down kind of. And I guess I should say that she wrote this, right? Does she write most of her songs? Most of them, I believe. Uh, no, she I'm has co-writing sure. credit okay. on yeah. everything. She's the main writer on a few of them. Um, I heard that in her country writing days, like country song days, it was more her own original work, but it's gotten more okay. like co-writing. More, as it goes more on, committee. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. She's writing with like those sweet, those Swedish people who do all the songs that you have hear. written all the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the video, she's also uh, co-credited as director. Um, as director. Yeah. And it was, um, she made most of the concept as she did for the video, the first single from this record, me, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which 
is interesting, but I'm yeah. not here to talk about that. And, and I have to say, um, just as just as an aside, Ella, you brought up the the country days. Um, by that, by the time Taylor Swift arrived as a country singer, I had completely stopped listening to popular country music. I mean, sometime in the mid '90s, I completely stopped listening and so i completely missed her country phase all altogether yeah. and so of course i missed her pop phase as well but you know it's not it's, i'm not the audience for this music anyway um but going into the uh the next verse though this is where the political activism comes in and she had been i read kind of criticized for not being more vocal during 2016 um yes yeah and so this seems to be her um, either writing a wrong or giving the public what they want, uh, wh- however you want to view it. Um, she is changing a trajectory here that she, that she's had as an artist. And in this, there's, this is the verse where she's specifically talking about, um, oppression of, um, of, uh, the LGBTQ plus community, right? Um, and do you want to talk a little bit about that, Victoria? Yes. So, um, I talked about the change.org petition at the end, um, but this, this verse is really, um, really queer centric. She talks about um, people taking shots at her friends like they're missiles. Um, and then the the line that I think most people have talked about the most, uh, she says, why are you mad when you can be glad? And if you watch the lyric video, um, it's not just the word glad, it's uh G-L-A-A-D, GLAD, the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, she also rather terribly misuses um, the word shade. Okay. Uh, she There's a, a sort of joke line where she says, uh, she's criticizing um, anti-gay people and says, uh, shade never made anybody less gay. Um, it's not really what shade, I mean, shade is, you know, a word, first of all, from not just the queer community, but the black queer drag community. Yeah. So there's like levels of possibly questionable cultural appropriation happening. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but lots of articles that I read in preparation for this by um, lots of queer music journalists took issue with her use of shade and said like i don't think you really know what that means because that doesn't make sense in that context yeah um go ahead ella um another thing that people like were kind of hot and bothered about with the video was like the way she portrayed the anti-lgbtq plus community and it was kind of like these like bitter like I'm not. I'm not going to say like stupid hillbillies, but that's what uh, she portrayed yeah. them as. She had. It's they had su- like it's super regionalist. Yeah. It's really bad. It was like. Have you? If you ever heard of like Duck Dynasty? Yeah. They, they looked like Duck Dynasty characters and well, like on on meth, right? Missing yeah. teeth and <laughs> it, wearing overalls. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, and the signs are misspelled. There's one that says like it's not Adam and Eve. It, or it's not Adam and Steve, it's Adam and Eve. And then there's another one that says something about morons and morons is spelled with an A. Yeah. It's just like, it's yeah. a really, really flat vision of... Um, yeah. Um, look, can we hold off on the video, though? Because mm-hmm. I think that is um, rich enough to kind of... Yeah. Okay. Let's bracket that into its own conversation. Um, uh, let's just sort of set the song up and then talk about the, what the okay. video does with these. Because you're totally right, Ella. I think that that, that part of the video is where you're just sort of, I guess, maybe working with her, uh, you know, method of 
sort of inciting controversy outside the song to use as mode as grinder mule or whatever the word I'm looking for is uh, uh, fuel for the grinder here uh, for the songs themselves. Um, it could be purposefully reductive to create controversy, right? I mean, I think that that's not beyond the realm of possibility here. Um, and so, yeah, that is uh, that the second, the, but the other problem I wanted to get at here, I'm sorry, I'm stumbling just a bit here is the, um, uh, the, the connection between the first verse and the second verse is again doing what mean did right it's it's taking a personal slight about someone attacking you as a, a quite privileged and wealthy celebrity uh, and just not liking what you do and connecting that to an actual form of either bullying or oppression right uh, and I think within the song itself there's something troubling about pairing these two verses am I am, am I overreading this Victoria uh, I don't think so I that's um the morning after the single was released, I pre-ordered the album. So you get like, it gets downloaded. Each single gets downloaded uh, to yeah. my phone. Um, and the single dropped at midnight. Uh, but I'm an old person. So I listened to it the next morning because <laughs> I can't, that's too late for my life. <laughs> and so I listened to it three or four times over coffee. And then I commented on my own, uh, Facebook post and said essentially what you just said that the that verse one and verses two and three are being made morally equivalent um, yeah. by an incredibly privileged incredibly rich person uh, who you know is not well is not a member of the first marginalized community queer people in verse two though she is a woman and that's verse three is about sort of internet body shaming and uh and um, that that kind of stuff that happens with um, with women pitting women against each other. Uh, so she is a member of that community. But I do I think that there's there's just so much um, so much of a gap between those two things. Yeah, um, and that's a good chance to talk about verse three. Um, we see you over there on the internet comparing all the girls who are killing it. Uh, but we figured you out. Uh, we all know now. We all know now we all got crowns. You need to calm down, right? And so it's one of these things. <laughs> Stop putting women into a hierarchy. All women are queens, sort of. Am, am I, that's sort of the the surface level meaning of that, right? That That's the idea. And it does fit into something we haven't mentioned yet, which is there's a like an extended beauty pageant metaphor happening in the song that seems a little bit problematic, I think. Um, she... Another thing she says, other than uh, we all got crowns, is each verse has some version of don't step on my gown, don't step on his gown, don't step on her gown, like we're all wearing beauty pageant gowns mm. um, going through life. So mm. I, I thought that that was a really interesting, and then there's a literal beauty pageant in the video, which we can talk about later. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a really interesting extended metaphor that it seems like she thinks is making her argument but that I think might be undermining it a little. Yeah, um, that's a great idea uh, or a great point about this. Um, the, the, there's a, a paradox uh, built within the song itself, right? Um, and before we get to the um, – Ella, did you want to say something? You look um, like you have something to say. It's kind of off topic, so we can just move on for a little bit. Okay, write it down so you don't forget. Um, okay. Um, one thing that I, um, I wanted to kind of point at, there's a USA Today article that I'll link to in the show notes, although – 
as a USA Today article, it is like wildly um, hard to look at because it's there's so many pop-ups and bizarre. <laughs> it's just a terribly designed website. Um, so I apologize for sharing it with you. But it does sort of break down the criticism into four pretty distinct um, categories. And I think this is getting at what you're saying here. She's using pride, capital P pride, as a fashion statement or marketing ploy. Mm. Um, and, and, and that's sort of not only like, piggybacking on the pride month but the whole like um uh fashion show uh, pageantry of it all is 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 problematic on some level is that kind of what you're saying victoria that is certainly part of it though i don't want to like i don't want to throw her under the bus too much because every organization rainbow washes during pride um <laughs> and i and i don't think it means much of anything when anyone does it ella you were saying this to me right um like all corporations do this during yeah. pride month right yeah and it's okay it's like natural i'm not gonna say it's right but it's natural for cor- corporations to like kind of mooch as much, (laughs) like, attention and support as they can from things that are going on in, like, day-to-day, like, American, the world, like, in general life. Yeah. And Pride Month, it was a great opportunity for all these industries to change their profile picture to with a rainbow for one month and then take it away right as Pride Month ended. And... I think it's kind of an attempt to, like, get us to succumb to, like, the insidious influence of corporate culture. Yeah. And I, it's just so, it it's kind of, like, makes me sick to my stomach just watching this play out. Because it happens every day. You know that these companies, their CEOs are, like, demanding, like, you know they demand, like, they planned this out. It's their strategy. Yeah. And you can't blame them. You can, but you can't blame them for um, trying to get attention off of this huge month that also gets lots of attention. Within the logic of capitalism, it mm-hmm. makes perfect sense to do this, right? I mean, they do the same thing during um, Black History Month. It becomes sort of grist for the mill again, right? And so, and honestly, this Women's is- History Month too in March. Exactly. McDonald's flipped their M over so it was a W or whatever other nonsense. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is one thing, I mean, I try to, I try to train my kid up, right? Um, this is one thing that, uh, that capitalism does is that it takes any Anything that might challenge it and just brings it within the fold as another way to generate profit, right? And so, um, anything, uh, and so, uh, go ahead. For, like, for these companies, we all know, everyone knows that money is their very, very, very first priority. Yeah. Like, kind of going off topic a little bit for a few seconds, like, mm-hmm. the they don't really care that they're kind of destroying the ozone layer to get like these kind like this huge profit margin and they don't care that they're like offending people when they like not offending people but they like don't care about what i don't know how to put it but they care no, about the, what people the ozone layer yeah. is my fault for using plastic straws yes, exactly. still right like <laughs> they, they exactly. shift the responsibility like, to the uh-huh, individual yes, consumer like <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's like they they pump toxins directly into like the mouths of whales or something. I don't even, that's an exaggeration, but like it's mostly their faults. And 
they're making it seem with all these, like, commercials and, like, advertisements about saving the planet that by throwing away or, like, recycling a straw, using a metal straw, like, that's going to save the entire planet. Yeah. And I do agree that, like, it's one step at a time, but nothing's going to change unless, like, they change. And that's really off topic. But, like, just, like, corporate industries in general are very... I'm going to use the word manipulative this time. Oh, yeah. They're so manipulative and they... They do their. They take advantage of whatever opportunity they have to make profit, and Pride oh. Month is one of those. Yeah, absolutely. Can, um, can I just say that I'm so heartened to hear a 15 year old talk in those terms? <laughs> like, I I hope that more teenagers uh, think that because that's amazing. Ella is a wonderful kid. I'm very proud of this kid. Um, but uh, I really recommend on these terms uh, on on as part of this discussion, I recommend David Bentley Hart recently wrote an article for Plow um, Quarterly um, called "What Lies Beyond Capitalism," and I'll put a link to. It. It's a really um, great Christian perspective on the problem, um, the incompatibility of capitalism with Christianity, right? Uh, and so, and what he puts, how he puts it here, I think is just brilliant. Um, it has no natural attachment to the institutions of democratic or liberal freedom. It has no moral nature at all. It is a system that cannot be abused, but only practiced with greater or lesser efficiency. But of course, viewed from any intelligible moral perspective, that which is beyond the distinction between good and evil is, in its essence, evil, right? Uh, and, and I think uh, he, he has a great way of talking about how the value systems of capitalism um, don't line up with any actual moral um, goal. Um, and I think that's kind of, um, in David Bentley Hart's terms, um, similar to what Ella's saying here. Um, and and I, I couldn't agree more. I really, um, really enjoyed that article. And that whole issue is actually great. Um, and so, um, did you think of what you wanted to say before? Yes. So this is, I'm doubting either of you really know what's going on with this. But there's this new, not really new. I think she's saying that we're old, Victoria. You're, you, <laughs> you, okay. This is a year old now, this platform. It. I think it hit its year old mark a few days ago, a week ago. Have you, if TikTok, you may, I told my. I knew you were going this. to talk about <laughs> TikTok. I don't even, I don't enjoy TikTok. Like, some of the videos are funny, but like, the, this song, it got so, so, so much recognition on that platform. Like, that was one of the most popular, like, just a few lines. There was like 10 seconds of that entire song. That was in this TikTok. And I was like repeating that, like those few lyrics over and over again. And then it wasn't until like my dad asked me about this and he gave, sent me the link to the song that I realized that it was Taylor Swift's song. <laughs> and that I am like, I like to think that I'm pretty or at least semi well versed in like mu the music industry and like just media nowadays and like quote-unquote celeb drama and stuff like that but like it just it's weird to like just how much her style or like how much her agents have like made her change her style because I didn't even recognize her like voice while I was watching mm -hmm. her sing it in the music video mm -hmm. and like yeah. it was hard and to she pay does attention. a lot yeah. of sorry go ahead Ella no go ahead she does a lot of really different vocal inflection yeah. in this song too. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot more drawly, dr drawly not in a country way, drawly in a like 
sort Gen- of a yeah, like vocal fry way. way. Uh, um, and oh. she swears now, which is interesting. Think, didn't she do that in Reputation, too? In Reputation, she did. I don't I'm, think 1989, which I, is the fifth album, okay. has swears. I'm not, embarrassed, I'm not embarrassed to admit that, like, I don't really listen to Taylor Swift. You guys probably know more about Taylor Swift than I do, honestly. <laughs> I just found, like, found out about the... Con- like the Kanye West Kim Kardashian thing today as right. you were talking about it <laughs> and I'm not really that like she was influenced. today years old yeah yes. I was today oh. years old when I <laughs> but I didn't even it's just I don't even like really know much about Taylor Swift well, but I thought I knew I what she hate sounded that like. I know this much by the way <laughs> I am a I am a 33 year old woman with advanced academic degrees I hate that I'm so into this but I just find it so fascinating and, and it is and I'm, I stand by my statement like I as an artist I think there's something really interesting going on here like I I do think that she is as much a product as a person, right, at this point, yes, right? And but, so yeah. our discussion of that, capitalism like, works in that way. Like, all celebrities are, like, branded more as products well, yeah. than actual human beings. You're, you're totally right, right? The celebrities, corporations. Corporations, they are products, but, yeah. like... No, they're people legally, actually. So, um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> they have the rights of people. <laughs> but wow. they have more rights than we do, actually. Um, but... Um, um, and I will say on Ella's point here, if this conversation sounds familiar, this is something, it's another reason why this is a perfect fit for this show. Um, several episodes that I can think of off the top of my head um, kind of come up here. We did a show on celebrity liberalism mm-hmm. once. Um, um, Victoria, you came and talked about the fearless girl um, statue on in Wall Street um, for an episode. This is, I think, related to a lot of those same kind of forces. Um, and even the discussion of cultural appropriation. Um, Varn came on and talked a little bit about in one of our keywords episodes. I can't remember which one that was in now. Um, but it was a, uh, a pretty good kind of nuanced discussion of how that term can be made to do too much sometimes <laughs> like cultural appropriation is actually really tricky and often it is used to just kind of silence people and without any kind of actual recognition of how culture works um, and how cultural exchange works. But, um, but I do think the piggybacking of her personal experience upon um, oppression and bullying um, is, if you want to call it cultural appropriation, a, a version of that, where it's actually kind of icky. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, but this is actually right up the alley of the show. Um, Before we move on to the video, one of the other um, claims that the uh, USA Today article summarizes, it says that she's queer baiting fans. um, And I take that to mean that her sexuality is a, a subject of controversy amongst her fans. And this is her like, teasing it in some way am i am i misunderstanding what queer baiting means victoria I would know. that is indeed what queer baiting means okay i i i honestly like i i am a straight person so maybe i shouldn't have an opinion but i i feel like the queer baiting is reaching a tiny bit here okay um i that might be a bad opinion to have um Like, is it just because she dyed her hair rainbow colors a little bit? Is it like there's nothing super queer in this video? Um, The one moment. I mean, 
in terms other, of her. Yeah. There's a lot of other things in the video. Well, yeah, RuPaul's in it, right? Um, but no, well, um, exactly. The video is clear. She's not clear in the video. One moment is maybe the ending with Katy Perry yeah. is like a marriage almost. It looks like she's dressed as French fries, I think, and, and Katy, Katy Perry, Perry is. is the uh, so the reason that they're dressed as hamburger and fries is because um, the theme of the Met Ball this year. Do you guys know what the Met Ball is? Yeah. I do. Yeah. Okay, um, so Anna Wintour's big um, gala, it's themed every year. The theme this year was camp, um, mm-hmm. which sort of ties into the whole queer imagery thing, though lots of people's costumes did not understand what camp was, but that's a different <laughs> conversation. Uh, Katy Perry was dressed as a hamburger at the Met Gala, uh. um, so that's a sort of visual reference to to that. All, all, kinds, of, uh, all kinds of references to other things. Uh, we're playing checkers and T Swift is playing chess always. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, she's twelfth dimension chess on me here again. Six so dimension. that's another TikTok <laughs> reference, by the way. Okay. I'll take your word for it. I was unaware of that platform. So so let's like hone in on the video. Um so it's it's I'm sure with Taylor Swift's kind of um godlike control over every detail right mm-hmm. i'm sure there it's there's it's loaded with images that i won't totally i won't even get right um but i did recognize a lot of celebrities i, I think i saw ellen in it i saw um, ryan I saw, reynolds saw, um, why is ryan reynolds there that's like the only one i don't understand <laughs> yeah, there was like i don't why i don't know why ryan reynolds is in anything but uh, oh but, wow okay. <laughs> that's my, my own only, personal opinion my only theory is that deadpool has given him camp cred now oh that's possibility that, yeah so i think but we should say while we're talking about ryan reynolds in the video, he is uh, painting a picture of the Stonewall Inn, um, and this was right around the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riots. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, and definitely not purposeful, and, and definitely an attempt, um, whether advised or not, to dive into political debates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of what she was obviously going for here um and so can can we just do a quick rundown of like how many queer celebrities are in this yeah please okay. do oh, go ahead okay. ella wants to say something <laughs> quick though um queer eye the cast of queer eye i don't know if you know what that is i, I think that, that is. is uh karamo and tony yeah. jv and bobby and tan with a french yes. tuck but i feel like having them like all these famous like extremely famous like queer celebrities in there really just kind of didn't help her, like, cause when, like, like everyone already thought that she was doing it for publicity, but having all these, like, famous queer people. I know that you, like, need to, but, like, yeah, that's, there was so, like, there was it, such a sheer amount that it felt yeah, there's so. there's so many that it doesn't yeah. really mean much. Yeah, there was, like, and, a few. And, a, like, yeah, I wouldn't mind. and they, they're props, basically. They're props, yeah. Um, and, and also, I mean, it, it shows the value system i mean it shows the power of celebrity in our culture something's only real if it's celebrated right and so it only matters at least if it's if it's celeb if it's celebrity and so um i think that that is another um connection to me to the work of capital right i I think that um the idea they're they've a celebrity is someone who's to some degree transcended their humanity and become as much a product (laughs) as as a person right And, and i think that's a um what I see in that, but um, so yeah, there's um, Victoria. Do you have others? Um, I saw, like I said, RuPaul and Ellen. And- 
Alan Laverne Cox from Orange is the New Black. Okay. Um, Sierra RuPaul, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and his actual husband get fake married in the video. Uh, Billy Porter, Adam Lambert, Adam Rippon, uh, Ryan Reynolds for some reason. Uh, Todrick Hall, who's famous for his Disney mashup YouTube videos, mm-hmm. um, also helped her do the production concept for the video. Um, Dexter Mayfield, who's a transgender model, and uh, Hannah Hart, a famous YouTuber, most famous for her uh, drunk kitchen videos where she gets drunk and cooks food. Uh, Recommend not actual getting drunk and cooking food, but watching those videos, uh, which are really fun. Okay. Um, and she's she's notable, I think, here because most of these people are very, um, whether or not they are uh, or identify as men or women, they're fairly femme presenting. Um, Hannah Hart is a butch presenting lesbian, mm-hmm. um, so that's she's she's sort of the the minority in terms of what the video looks like, which I think is important. Oh, in what way? Ex- um, explain that. Well, I mean, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Like, the rest of the video, like, it was bright and pink, and, like, there, everyone, like, was kind of, like, all going all out, like, girly, feminine and stuff. And then, like, I, I noticed this, too. I didn't know who she was, but there was just, like, these few people that kind of, like, just, like, looked more, like, out of place. Not out of place in the video. Like, they obviously were meant to be in the video, but, like, they just didn't match the rest of, like, the surroundings in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a different visual representation of queerness, but yeah. the dominant visual representation is uh, is bright and sort of yeah flamboyant and femme presenting. But like, not every like, queer person obviously just like loves pink and is like I don't know, not loves pink, but like is feminine, you know. Uh, yeah, isn't yeah, that there's a... some there's some pretty serious visual stereotyping yeah, happening that's very, um, very, in the video. Uh, Ella, you mentioned uh, the Fab Five. Mm-hmm. Um, what okay. did you notice? What they're doing in the video? No, what were they doing? Drinking tea. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so right, there's layers there because you know a tan walks around and like has his pinky up and drinks directly out of the teapot but we're also clearly supposed to think of this as a repre- uh, a reference to uh spilling, spilling the, the tea, tea. telling yes. the truth I right. tell my dad I whenever I'm like ah, saying something I'm always like let me spill from. the tea and I never like <laughs> <laughs> I never like <laughs> elaborated but i guess he gets it now i get it now but all yeah, right the I last six months that. of my life makes sense so um i spilled a lot of tea <laughs> happy to help <laughs> um okay and so yeah so there's a very kind of specific mainly flamboyant vision of of queerness that yeah, um that she's stereotypical but i mean it, it signals right it signals, yeah I, um i think that's what she's kind of going for um and so um the is the big issue the the protesters for you Quiteria, uh, Victoria or are there other other problems with it um we should talk about the Taylor Park um oh as, yes as she is calling it um the yes. whole video is set in a trailer park mm-hmm. oh i didn't even realize um, which is a, pr- a pretty a pretty serious class signifier, especially mm. coming from the literal top of the Forbes 100 uh, highest paid celebrities list. Wait. Yeah, 
Yes, she is. Yeah, she's really? very, very rich. Yeah, well, so. I didn't even yeah, know from this. from last year, she made the top of the list. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's like a it's a very she's not even like that famous. I don't even. Well, I mean, she's pretty, maybe I mean, not everyone... to your generation, but to people in their twenties now, she's probably the the celebrity, right? Still, the the, the hmm. vocal celebrity. Maybe beyond maybe Beyonce. I don't know. Is maybe the only one. I don't even. Know. I honestly, yeah, I don't Beyonce. know much about. Yeah, um, but she's in that that conversation um, for for most of the pop listening audience right um and so um but that trailer park though is very like again pastel-y if that's a word (laughs) and uh very pastel and uh and and kind of posh and so it's almost like a i don't know how to say it a queered up uh version of a a trailer park am am i wrong yeah it's trying to be campy but failing um what what I really want mo- most in terms of this conversation is for like John Waters to respond to this video mm. because um, the aesthetic that she's trying to create really seems like a sort of corporate focus group version of a John Waters film. Oh my gosh, yeah. that is so brilliant, Victoria. <laughs> and, um, I assume my listeners know. I mean, John Waters, his like queerness is actually subversive right i mean it's it's not something that's sanctioned by by corporate america right and so this is sort of like a sanitized version of what he did oh my gosh that is that is so brilliant actually (laughs) thank you i'm i'm a big waters fan yeah that and that's a great way to put it has he has he or anyone uh in his sphere sort of responded to this i I have not seen a response from him. I know he he didn't get invited to the camp-themed Met Gala, which is just the biggest oversight ever in the whole entire world. Um, But he did respond to that and basically said, like, you know, they they better be glad they didn't invite me because I would bring camp like they wouldn't understand, uh, which is true. (laughs) Yeah. Well, but again, the Met Gala is another thing that is – it's classist, right? I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to yeah. make it. I don't want to completely put it in those terms. But at its heart, this is a a, a playground or a, for rich people. For rich people, for very right. yeah. privileged. High class. Yeah. She, she High class. burns down her own trailer, basically on purpose, ish. Yes, hmm. that I remember that scene. Um, the the phone. The phone is literally blowing up right she's getting so many notifications that her phone catches on fire and um while she's making the grossest cocktail in the history of the world (laughs) composed entirely of sparkling rosé there's your queer signifier again um sparkling rosé and cotton candy which like that's so foul the texture alone would be like Oh man! I, like, it doesn't matter that it's not a real cocktail, right? Because it's just pinkness in a glass, and that's what this video is going for. It doesn't have to really exist; it just has to fit this aesthetic. And, and it puts, you know, the LGBTQ um, community into this like stereotypical box, right? Um, and oh. I, and the, that goes along with the casting. Um, of the of the cameos in the video, um, the set design and everything, and it, and it sort of defines what it is to be that kind of person um, in this very sort of corporatized, like right. you know, commercial friendly um, version of it. Right? There's um, a a really flat, narrow vision of 
what and who it is to be queer and a really flat, narrow vision of what and who it is to be opposed to gay rights, too. And yeah, and my like people like my mom, for example, like I think she actually kind of adores on some level like RuPaul, right? He's he, or she is uh, sort of like a, um, uh, a, a, a crossover friendly um, representative of that community, right? Uh, and so yes. it's it's a safe choice, I guess, is what I'm saying. There are people who are not necessarily wholly on board with like gay rights or whatnot, but still sort of think Ellen is wonderful, right? And, and, and that kind of thing. And so I think um, it was very kind of meticulously curated uh in that way to kind of have i mean as capital is it's 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 marketing toward the broadest number of people it can like like um victoria said earlier she's kind of like a like a like a genius when it comes to like exposure and like getting herself out there and we have to be honest like yes it does it's pretty much just like a commercial commercialized music video with all these celebrities but if there were just like regular day-to-day queers in the video, it probably wouldn't have gotten as much attention because I mean, they're not famous. Because this is like this ties way back into like class kind of. Mm-hmm. So like the queer, f- the Fab Five, um, they're like kind of loved by a lot of people. I'm pretty sure Grandma, my grandma, who's like a yes. very conservative <laughs> Christian, like old little lady they tickle her yeah she likes them she like enjoys like watching them and i think that this it was like a pretty well executed attempt to get people who aren't as like glad i don't know like with one a or two they like don't they aren't as happy like they don't want gay rights as much yeah. but they they still like in, like these are still like people that they would enjoy seeing in a music video they're their tv friends yeah tv yeah. friends right yeah. it's it's like sort of non-threatening representations of politics mm-hmm. different than yours yeah. and, and unlike someone like john waters right um john yeah. waters is is totally uh, or his films, at least, are, are totally like that would be appalling <laughs> to those same yeah, people. Yeah, he um, <laughs> he wants to be threatening. <laughs> exactly right. Um, um, that was a great com- uh, um, uh, comparison. Um, and so let's move to the tra- the uh, the protesters. I mean, that's that's another. That was a big. That, big controversy. Th- th- like. This is why I wanted to have this conversation with you specifically, Danny, oh, okay. because you've said so many smart things about this region of the country and and class, and I. Yeah, that's one reason why I wanted to do this. Yeah, so my my thoughts on it is that it is the most like base like stereotype. Um, it, it, to it's like easy demon points, right? It's like if I can make someone look like this, everyone's gonna hate them, and it already signifies everything I need to know about them because I've dressed them in the way that I've dressed them and whatnot, right? It very much reminds me um, right after the election, in the wake of it, there was this. Um, a Politico reporter came to Johnstown and Johnstown is sort of like in the middle of like Trump, Pennsylvania, right? Mm -hmm. That's it's, it's, although Johnstown itself voted for Clinton, right? Um, But it's, it's right in the middle of the Hills. Right. And so, um, and it's very kind of working class. It's like that rusty old Pennsylvania um, town that is the stereotype for 
the Trump voter, as if the Trump voter isn't people who live in the suburbs and own car lots. That's the Trump voter that gets him elected. Okay, the white working class, the white trash or whatever, they had nothing to do with Trump getting elected. They're just his fans. Right. Um, And so um, what I'm saying, uh, the thing that irks me about that Politico article, this guy came and he interviewed, uh, found a couple people who said a racist thing and he concluded his argument, his article with that. And it was total like zooming in on something and missing the bigger picture. Right. Um, And somehow and Politico, I think actually published a, uh, uh, not a retraction, but a, uh, a retort from someone local actually um, to their credit. But the, the, the point I want to make there is that to actually reduce your enemy to the most like ignorant caricature of what you think that they're actually like, like totally dehumanizes them and really goes against every supposedly liberal sentiment that you supposedly uphold. Uh, and, and I just think that absolutely I, I think that this um, caricature um has been widely panned. I mean, I'm not the only person making this claim about this caricature. That, that was like probably the most like panned part of this, um, this whole video. But, um, and rightfully so. I just think that it was, it was lazy and it was, um, really cheap, uh, and, and, and avoided the truth, uh, the complexity of human beings, really. Um, and living amongst folks here in Western Pennsylvania now for four years. Yeah. Every once in a while, someone I know to be a lovely person. Like a, a wonderful human being um, who bends over backwards to help anybody they can, they have an opinion that I find abhorrent, right? I can't make that opinion the entire person, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what this video um, is uh, guilty of in my in my estimation. Can I'm ranting. Can I just say that, like, even the most southern, like, way, way, way down south, like, country people and, like, the depths of the South don't really look like that anymore. Yeah. Like, there are a few people, like, that I guess would fit that, like, kind of, like, look, that kind of stereotype. But, honest, I think it was kind of, like, a cruel, like, way to show them. Like, I know that she's trying to say, like, oh, my God, look at how cruel they are. They, they're they so, like, mean and, like, bigoted. But... She's kind of being bigoted herself by, like, showing that stereotype, but, like, elevating it to that kind of, like, intense... Oh, it was just... It's she's, just, like, She's it. punching it's down to, to exactly. use kind That's of it. liberal vernacular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's, as we said, one of the richest people in mm-hmm. the celebrity world, mm-hmm. and she's, you know, pulling out this really um, narrow vision of toothless people in overalls. Yeah. Uh, and certainly the, those the people best, exist, right? But they're yes, not representative. Exactly. <laughs> right. That's they're not representative. Yeah. Like, they, there's, I'm not saying that it's like they're like they don't exist. Like they there are people that look like that and like have opinions like that. But she's like making it seem like the entire like I'm not saying anti LGBTQ plus community like mm-hmm. but they're against it they like would rather they're like i'm like the like you said earlier on one of the signs it said it's not adam and steve it's adam and eve like that's like kind of like a joke kind of like yeah if for like it was kind of just sickening to like look at how like yeah stereotypical she like made 
the protesters seem it's it's lazy and cheap and it's yeah punching down. like when you yeah. see videos nowadays um of like actual protesters like they look like people you would see in your day-to-day life living in western pennsylvania honestly yeah or just like anywhere in the u.s to be honest like yeah. they look like normal people there's they're not like yeah like they might have horrible opinions but like we're not horrible opinions but like bigoted opinions yeah but they're not like looking i just i'm getting so worked up about it (laughs) yeah it's it's really frustrating um i i wanted to to shout out a particularly great um response to the vision of those protesters um i don't think i can name the publication uh on air but it is a famous feminist pop culture magazine that for its title has reappropriated a gender-based slur yeah um i feel like <laughs> i feel like most everybody can get that it's uh, uh yeah it, it rhymes with yeah <laughs> go ahead <laughs> um i i would i would recommend um this magazine if you're interested in the intersection of gender and pop culture but it's a really great article by rachel charlene lewis um, it's called Do We Need to Calm Down, a roundtable about Taylor Swift and classes, classism in music. And the, a point that she makes that I actually hadn't thought about um, before I started researching for this episode is, so we get this vision of anti-queer protesters as sort of Appalachian um, mm-hmm. cardboard cutouts. And we get this vision of fabulous rainbow-colored queer people. Um, but what are queer people who live in Appalachia like do they not exist are they what's what what do they look like what side do they pick in this video um and Lewis mentions that actually um West Virginia is the state with the highest percentage of transgender teenagers yeah and um, so like how how are they supposed to process this Yes, um, that is something I'm really. I'm going to link to that article in the show notes. I just looked it up and found it, and um, and put it in my Instapaper account, so I'll remember to link to it. Um, because yeah, I think I, I'm interested in reading that actually. Um, and that's something that I've thought for a long time too. Um, I actually read somewhere. Uh, Someone on Twitter, and so you know, I know that it, Twitter is not representative either of, uh, of reality, but um, but it is its own reality. Um, but one of the arguments of, it was a while ago, I, I, I saw someone saying that um, people it was a reaction against people talking about the elitism of the coasts. Okay, and so these people were defending the elitism of the coasts essentially um, by saying that um, it's not safe. For anybody like a, a LGBTQ person to live anywhere but New York City, essentially, is what they were saying, and um, and, and and to that's so stupid. It, it was so dumb, and so I'm like, I would really love to hear what the LGBTQ community of Pittsburgh um, or Harrisburg or Allentown or West Virginia has to say about this, right? Because that is. Uh, that is like that's peak liberal stupidity, I think, um, and, and I think that um, um, this. Uh, I almost said the name of the publication. <laughs> this "Do We Need to Calm Down" article is a uh, um, a really good rejoinder to that, actually. So um, I'm glad you brought it up. But yeah, and it um, it cites a Twitter account called Queer Appalachia, which I have started following. Um, that that is a, seems to be a really great um, nonprofit organization that particularly 
uh, highlights young queer voices. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy that this article uh, brought that to my attention too. Yeah. And honestly, I will say just, um, uh, I think a weakness for me in liberalism is or particularly like identity politics driven liberalism is that it too often um, doesn't understand how all of those other identities intersect with, with class. Right. And, and how absolutely um, it, it just sort of ignores that as a personal choice to be ignorant. Right. Um, rather than um, a structural outcome of a general system of oppressive inequality, right. That um, also affects a person's sexuality and a person's race and all those other things. And so um, this video is, I think, a perfect storm of a lot of those conversations um, all, all at once. Um, is there, like, I can't, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, are there other celebrities that have uh, overstepped in awkward ways that you can think of that are, is similar to this? Hmm. I, my I, first thought was, and this happened when I was a small child, but I know about it from... Uh, gender identity work that I've done. Um, I thought about the controversy around um, when Madonna put out Vogue mm. um, because she, she got accused of essentially stealing and popularizing um, queer ballroom competition oh. styles um, that didn't belong to her. And now like your grandmother is voguing, but that's a black queer thing. And, Oh, that's interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, that's so far. I mean, that. I wonder what if Twitter had been around when that came out, right? Uh, like what Madonna would have done, <laughs> like how how her career would have been different if there were a Twitter back then, right? Um, Twitter is like, it's it's very highly influenced. Like, I don't know, influenced, but like it shows a lot, like how people think about yeah certain things. But, it's really, but it's, it's a so, tiny segment that gets an outsized amount of attention, right? Yeah, um, and and is mm -hmm. so set yeah. up to engineer fil filter bubbles. It, it totally is, when, right? I yeah. mean, sometimes you'll see a like a news article or something, and some of like the citations and like the proof of what's happening will be like just screenshots of twitter posts yes. and it's the funniest thing i've ever seen that's my that, least this is this is the world we live in now yeah. that's my it's least favorite twitter form posts. of journalism though it's just screenshots it, of twitter posts it, it's like half of the daily beast <laughs> is just reporting that somebody said something on twitter or on a late night show it's not yeah. even reporting it's just like look at what i found on the internet uh mm. and, and so they, that passes as journalism right um fake news anyway so um um yeah another one i was thinking of recently was um iggy azalea um, um she's not as prominent now but she definitely still has a yeah place. well like four or five years ago yeah. right she was big and and like her accent had been basically um that she rapped in was i mean oh yeah people were saying she was putting on a black scent yeah yeah and it was a, like a particularly atlanta version <laughs> that I, it was actually kind of a fascinating conversation um and so she's australian this like pretty white australian girl um sort of taking on the street cred through accent mm -hmm. of, of, a, of, a, of a marginalized community and then making profit out of that, right? Um, it's, and in its own way, I mean, just to kind of apply the capitalism like model to it, I mean, that's ex extracting resources from, um, you know, exploited communities and using it to generate, um, to 
accumulate capital um, for the people who already have privilege, right? And so I think it fits very neatly into what we already know about how the system works. Pretty much all of the Kardashian Jenners as well have been uh, accused of that in terms of how they visually present themselves. Um, They've been accused of using so much self tanner um, Mm. to darken themselves, uh, wearing uh, traditionally black hairstyles like um, box braids and cornrows. And just recently, Kim Kardashian West. I'm talking so much about the Kardashians today. Oh, man. Um, She got super put on blast, um, mostly on Twitter and Instagram, because she launched a line of body shapers, um, like Spanx, but more expensive and fancier. um, And her uh, line's brand was called Kimono. Okay. Um, And Japanese people went off rightly rightly um because you know what does your 200 dollar uh girdle have to do with japanese culture nothing yeah yeah. Uh, and and that's a different i mean that's a conversation i mean that's different than someone having uh going to yoga class right i think where the the cultural appropriation conversation goes off the rails is when they complain about you know, Mexican American food and that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, there's a difference between <laughs> appropriation and like dissemination. Yes. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, uh, that's exactly right. And so if you're interested in the nuance of that conversation, um, I personally think the po- cultural appropriation conversation way too often goes off the rails. I do think it does apply to what Taylor Swift is doing here. Um, but I think we can take that too far. Like I'm not one of these folks that, that thinks that <laughs> there is a, a possibility of having a pure culture. Right. And so, um, but um, let me, uh, we need to sort of move towards the conclusion here. Um, you, you mentioned you really like the follow-up single, uh, right? Uh, do you want to talk a little bit of just in more glowing terms about Taylor Swift? I, I'm just going to sound like a super basic white girl, but that's cool. Um, <laughs> so the follow-up single to you need to calm down is Archer. Um, we actually got an Easter egg previewing Archer in the You Need to Calm Down video. Uh, there's a one frame of the video where I don't remember which celebrity it is because there's 80,000 of them. Someone is shooting an arrow at a target and the target has a five in the center. Mm. Um, that got me excited because track five is important to the Taylor Swift fandom. Um, it in uh, almost every album, except for 1989, where she didn't do this. But uh, in almost all her albums, track five is like the slow, contemplative song. Okay. Uh, How interesting. I wish I had the acumen to make this show full of Easter eggs like that. Like, I, I wish I could do that. Like, I, I, I admire the craft there. Uh, so yeah, Archer is track five. It does fit into the idea of what a Taylor Swift track five typically is. Um, I like it because it, it leans a little bit more into that kind of slower, uh, country song sound. I'm, I don't know. I, I like, uh, I like that musically, um, better than the kind of trap pop Mm -hmm. um, thing that's happening and you need to calm down. But what I like the most about Archer as 
um, a follow-up to You Need to Calm Down specifically is how reciprocal its vision of right and wrong in relationships is. Mm. Um, the, the chorus of the song is, I've been the archer and I've been the prey. Um, and it sort of keeps going with that metaphor. But the idea that like she has wronged people and she has been wronged and that's just sort of what relationships are. Um, takes a degree of responsibility that isn't in you need to calm down. And I thought that was uh, a genius marketing move and just like better as a persona. And and it's a very pretty song too. I really did it. I enjoyed it too, um, I have to say. And yeah, I think you're right. I think it is more, it's like a classic um, ballad, right? I mean, that's that's the way I would put it. And I think that um, a lot of people would like this song. Um, yeah, I really do enjoy that one as well. Ella, did you listen to that one? I, like I said, am not a huge Taylor <laughs> Swift fan. I've listened to, I used to listen to her, but I have not listened to anything in the past few years. Um, we, I'm trying to sell a One Direction CD that she made me buy a long time ago. And hey, I <laughs> did not enjoy that either, even back then. <laughs> so uh, it's on I my front porch. I am way board. too old for One Direction. <laughs> so if anybody wants that, maybe I could make that a Patreon thing. Um, and so uh, let me one last question here. I want to kind of end on a big, you know, what can we learn from this? Uh, how can we do better? Um, I, I feel like there's a general lesson here about how people with power of various types might use it to affect social change. Uh, Do you have any advice on this matter for specifically Christians, um, Victoria? I, um, one of the best, I've said this on my show a bunch of times, particularly when we were talking about how to center perspectives um, that aren't our own. How do we um, get more perspectives of people of color on our show of, um, queer women, non-binary women, those, uh, those kinds of things. And the best advice I ever got um, about that coming from a place of privilege is sometimes you need to step up by stepping back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that is what I wish were present in this song video and is not. Um, it's, it's centered on her uh, and, and her sort of view and experiences rather than elevating um, already marginalized voices to speak on their own terms. Yeah, I mean, the pairing of the first two verses almost dooms it to failure, right? Um, um, Because it really does filter everything through her own personal experience, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Yeah, I think that that's a a really good piece of advice. I I also think um, that one thing that our world doesn't encourage very much and social media certainly doesn't help, but I don't think this is the root cause of it either. But um, I, I do think that trying to imagine the best of your enemy <laughs> um, and, and engage with the best version of your enemy rather than the most, the easiest like straw man reductionist version of your enemy um, is yeah. a general piece of advice. I try to follow, right? Um, I, I always, I had, I know I have students, for example, who are Cretans, right? Very, not very many. I'm, I'm lucky. Um, but even there, I try to like step into their shoes and see how, what I'm doing uh, how, how they might receive it from their perspective. Right. Um, and, and so I really do try to, um, 
imagine better versions of the people who bother me right um mm-hmm. and that is sort of my uh uh the way i've tried to stay sane in the world i think for one thing but i also do believe honestly that it is a virtue to uh to um you know love your enemy and, and so and I, and I think that the trailer park or the uh the protester scene and probably the trailer park too elements of these of this video is a glaring case of not loving your enemy right um and and i and i don't think any good can really the the good that can come from that will be limited on some level so and there are obvious exceptions i mean i'm undecided on whether i can punch a nazi or not right and so (laughs) i mean but um in general like i think that there are uh i I think that that's a a way i like to go through life um ella do you have any advice for the adults out there I mean, I have lots of advice for the adults, but no homework. Let kids, <laughs> no. Let, let kids sleep in late. I'm just no, I, I would listen to that podcast, Ella. I, I, I think we need a spinoff. It's true. When it comes to big industries, though, this is more kind of directed at towards people in my generation, mm-hmm. like big, like I think the music industry is can pretty much be seen as its own kind of corporation. But I think that when it comes to things like that, we kind of just like, don't take things too seriously because like, yes, sometimes there are some stuff you need to like go off about, but like some things they shouldn't, you shouldn't care as much as you, you do for some of the stuff that they're saying. And just being angry isn't going to solve anything at all. It's not going to solve anything. You you can be angry, but you have to use that anger to fuel change, I guess. And it, this definitely, t- like, though, yes, I, I was talking to my dad about this um, yesterday, last night, but I think that this entire situation with Taylor Swift and, like, this specific music video she it can be seen as this big ploy to get it like some recognition but we don't know that like maybe she does care and she's just going through the wrong steps to see change mm-hmm. and yeah i mean i think yeah. one thing that i think should be mentioned here which i'm sorry for not mentioning before that change.org petition has almost half a million signatures see? now in including mm-hmm. senators and democratic primary people. Mm-hmm. So like there are th- she's gotten this under the eyes of literal decision makers who have power to change the law. So that is definitely exactly. something. Exactly. Like yes, well it can be kind of disgusting to see like celebrities like getting money off of like mooching <laughs> some of these I- I'm not going to go into that again, Experiences, but yeah. Their influence can see like good like outcomes like that's half a million signatures is a lot and if this was just like a video that like a nobody put out no one would really care so yes while it this is there's two sides of the spectrum it's horrible and disgusting that you are using commercial corporate like I'm not going to, I don't even know what capitalism is, but ca- <laughs> like, I'm going to say it because my dad is pretty enraptured with it. But Read, read David Bentley Hart's article. Okay. Yeah, so. It's disgusting to see that, but also there can be some 
good outcomes. And th- this was one of the things where it was horrible and some, like, aspects, but there has been a pretty good outcome. So, like, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I have to say. <laughs> no, it's good. There's a way to redeem uh, yes, even uh, even flawed uh, attempts at, at perfection, right? So, um, late, uh, Victoria, did you have something? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Uh, oh, okay. Um, I'm sorry. I thought I heard a sigh. Ladies, I really appreciated this. This was so much fun. This is a kind of an almost ideal sectarian review episode, something someone brings to me and I think I would have never thought of, but it's a perfect fit for what we are kind of interested in on this show. Um, I really do appreciate you guys both taking the time and uh, joining me. Anybody who's listening, uh, you know where to find us. If you go to www.sectarianreviewpodcast.com, you can find uh, show notes and links to all kinds of things. There are also uh, links to how to get in touch with us. We're on Twitter. Uh, I am personally on Twitter at Danny at Danny P Anderson. Uh, I'm also on, we have a Facebook page and uh, look us up on Patreon. You can find ways to engage uh, the show. I have some like extra boat behind the scenes stuff there you can look at, and uh, and there are lots of other ways. I do have a Gmail too, um, sectarian review at gmail.com and uh, I'd be happy to answer any emails you have. Um, I love to hear from you and uh, please keep in touch. 